Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are here with stand-up comedian and writer Jenny Hogan. Her new book is called I'm more dateable than a plate of refried beans and other romantic observations, which uh, the title grabbed us right away. So right in our (laughs) wheelhouse. Thank you so much for being here, Jenny. Can you let the folks know what the book is about in your own words? The book is a it's a series of satirical essays, kind of like what you would find in The New Yorker. And it's um, they're abstract satire pieces, but I've compiled them in such a way that it follows the structure of a modern romance all the way through to breaking up, which is, of course, the last stage of any romance. Um, And I think the goal of the book is to poke fun at these like modern dating institutions that we hold so dear, like things like dating apps and ghosting and everything. And um, just kind of like shyness. Sometimes the it's abstract to the point where it sort of makes clear exactly how silly the actual um, dating practices. So it's really just a book to make someone laugh about modern dating. Well, mission accomplished. Um, so, so much, so much fun to read. I, I read many different parts of it multiple times because uh, they really resonated. But I want to start with the intro. Um, you talk about getting sober throughout this whole dating process. And honestly, I, I always say the thing I miss most about being in a relationship is having sober sex. So I'm just curious um, how you dealt with uh, dealt with dating without having the crutch of alcohol, because I certainly use it as a crutch. Um, and, and like, did you actually have to work on your self-esteem or something? Because that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I didn't have sex for the first six months that I uh, was sober. At some point, I kind of just stopped trying and it did feel like so insurmountable. And then when I finally got over the hump, it was like, it was at a wedding where I didn't know anyone, which I feel like is like the best time for a one night stand. Um, and it was like, we, I had just had so much trouble. I had been on a few dates. It was so hard for me to get loose sober. It was like really just kind of an all around challenge. And I was so afraid that I would never get back into dating. So dating sober basically, or dating at all now that I was sober. And I started talking to this guy and he's hitting on me and he's like somewhat easy to talk to. And he's like, he's kind of doing all the work, like making all the moves. So I'm like, okay, maybe this can like, maybe I can really do this. At some point it becomes clear that he's like very annoying. But at that point I'm like too far <laughs> in. And I'm like, I need to rip the bandaid off. This man wants to have sex. He's going to invite me to his hotel room very soon. And I'm just going to, it's just going to be over with. And, and that's kind of how it happened. Um, the sex itself was like 15 minutes long. I left like pretty much right after, um, it was awkward and weird and it didn't help that he was super annoying. Um, and it definitely like made me, I, I don't know if he was just like so strange or if like, uh, you know, sex is really weird when you're doing it sober, but like the way that he was dirty talking was so unappealing to me. And I was like, I think when I'm drunk, I usually just like tune this out. Anyway, <laughs> I definitely didn't come. Um, it was not yes. good sex. But it like really, I do feel like it ripped the bandaid off. And then after that, I was, I just like got back on dating apps and like, 
I, I definitely have sex less often now that I'm sober. Um, but it, it no longer like feels like a, a huge deal. Like it, it usually I talk about it beforehand with someone because you can't be quite as coy when you're sober. Um, but yeah, after like the second or third date, if I'm feeling it with someone, I'll be like, do you want to have sex? And then it's less weird now that once we've like stated it outright, so that's what we're going to do. Um, but it takes some getting used to. And yeah, if you're trying to be sober and, um, and kind of getting through that hump, I don't want to tell you to have sex with someone you don't want to have sex with. Um, but if you are really struggling and someone seems really interested in having sex and you don't hate the idea, I'd say maybe just go for it. Cause for me really doing it that one time, like totally open the door to, just in general, um, having sex a lot more easily. Great advice. Thank you. (laughs) Um, a lot of the chapters are the way that they're titled, very imaginative. They pull you in right away. But one of my favorites was the out of office, the automatic auto out of office replies (laughs) for dating apps. Um, can you talk about coming up with those? And also have you pitched these ideas to the dating apps? Cause I think I think there's something there, Ginny. Yeah, I really should. I actually do kind of talk. I feel like I talk to the social media people for dating apps like all the time. Like, I don't even know who they are. <laughs> like the, the OkCupid Twitter person, like we're like DM buddies. Um, so I probably should. I think that, um, yeah, the automatic out of office replies are like so great because I think that the way that I feel reading through like Tinder messages after I've been off for a while is the same way I feel just going through my email inbox, which is that so many of them, I'm like, uh, I don't know. And also like people will keep, keep texting if you don't respond. And I just wish that I could, could put up like an away message until I was like <laughs> ready to come back and pick like who I wanted to talk to. Um, so that's kind of where the inspiration came from, but it, it is like, I mean, dating has become so much like interviewing for a job because we do it in like, we do it en masse. Basically mm-hmm. we like cast a wide net and it's like, you know, you submit your resume to like 50 places and you go on an interview with like 10 places and then you go on a second interview with like three places. And that's like a lot like what dating is. So like coming back to like a Tinder or a Hinge inbox can really feel like, oh, I, I cast a wide net. I solicited all these places and I'm not interested in like moving forward. <laughs> the first round interview with a lot of them. It's so it's so true. And a lot of these skits that you write, they could easily be a short film or I mean, they're half most of them are funnier than things I see on SNL like do you have any thoughts of turning them into a a, a live uh, like a short film or you know submitting them to something like I mean not SNL but something similar to that oh that's a great question yeah I mean I um I'm sort of working on a podcast that is not based around the book but where it would sort of be the same angle of like a cold open that's some kind of absurd dating story in terms of actually pitching the book I think it could make for a really great like man seeking woman kind of show where it's like um it's sort of a sketch show like sort of a, a narrative show um but I haven't really thought too much about it the ones that feel like they lend themselves better to being in a show like that are the longer narrative ones like the phantoms and prejudice one or like a match made in heaven um mm-hmm. some of the shorter ones i don't yeah i mean mm-hmm. i i think that i do think that satire pieces like kind of interplay a lot with sketch because like i learned how to write satire via taking ucb classes and it's like the idea of like you start with a premise and then you heighten it for three beats and then you like kind of have like one button at the end that's sort of the same format as sketch so i think that a lot of them could be sketches for sure Okay. I mean, have you gotten more dates from writing this book? I have to know <laughs> if this is like, you know, widening the net even more. And are you meeting more people in person versus on apps while touring the book? 
Um, that's a great, well, the book's been out for eight days and I haven't been on it. <laughs> okay. Well, you better get on it. You are yeah. Yeah. Behind. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like, I was writing about dating beforehand and my standup is a lot about dating. My Twitter is a lot about dating and like it both like attracts and repels people. Like there are definitely people who are like, you're not gonna make jokes about me. Are, are you? And like, I've had people like cancel, like we have the date scheduled and then they cancel and they're like, to be honest, I read your Twitter and it's like, that sort of offends me. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, cancel before the first date, you know, if that's going to put you off, like I'm happier to know now. Um, but then I also get people who like, kind of like, I think, sort of blow it up into like, kind of create an idea of me that is not accurate. And that mm-hmm. is also a little bit frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. I would not say that this book has directly led to any dates. Um, but I am hoping to meet more people in person now that like, it seems like all the restrictions are lifted. Like, New York has been completely open for a couple months. So yeah, I hope that I hope that meeting people in person kind of comes back. Honestly, I think that's a red flag, Ginny. If somebody's going <laughs> to read and be super insecure about the things you put on Twitter, you're already filtering out the ones you don't want to date anyway. So I think that's a positive. Um, but yeah, uh, but I want to let our listeners know that the book, while it's hilarious, there, there are really some pearls of wisdom in there. Mm-hmm. And you really made me feel good about, you know, my singleness. And, you know, a couple of them is stop pretending that being in a relationship is better than being single. Um, Breakups don't have to be romantic defeats. You know, that was that really resonated with me. Um, Manslaughter and man's laughter is spelled the same. I mean, it's genius. (laughs) (laughs) But but um, but I do want to say that, like, you know, especially as you know, women in our 40s, Aaron and I are, um, I often look around at unhappy relationships and I'm like, are you people seeing the same thing I am? Like, why are you in so desperate to be in a relationship uh, when, you know, after living all these years and seeing relationships crash and burn, it's like, what's the rush? What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. And I think one of the things I feel most strongly about is like, it's not that I think relationships are bad or that people aren't happy in them. It's just, I I resent the idea that everyone is looking for a relationship, you know, that like, if you're not in a relationship, it's like a thing you're seeking, you know, I felt seen. (laughs) I I did too. I, um, granted, I just got married a few months ago, but, um, I was single (laughs) for a while and I, I, I loved it and I really appreciated that time. So I feel like when there's a lot of women and men that are like, Oh, you know, down in the, down in the dumps about being single. I'm like, yeah, but you can, you still have you. (laughs) Totally. And I am pretty sure, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like I feel comfortable stating this as a statistical fact, like single people have more friends. Like, I just feel like that's a fact. Yeah. And, and are better and are better at being a friend because you're not just so focused on yourself in this one relationship. And and I'm happy you said that because I wanted to get into, um, you also talk about going to an all girls high school, which Mm -hmm. I did as well. And, and I'm curious to know um, how you thought that that affected your ability to be around guys and date mm-hmm. guys, because because from a personal perspective, I learned that like my girlfriends are all I need. I have so much fun. Like, w- what else do I need? You know, if I find a guy that I like, cool, that's an added bonus. But you have friends to fulfill so many different needs, you know? Totally. I mean, I'm still like very close friends with so many of my high school friends. I had like I just turned 31 and I had a birthday party and it was like 20 women and like. I did invite like a few men and I mean, it wouldn't, you know, I don't think it matters if it's like a bunch of women and one man, like what is, what is gender, but it ended up being entirely women. And like, I, that was just like, so fun for me to celebrate it like that, I guess, because like I am used to being in like communities of all women. Um, and, uh, yeah, it does, it did like remind me of like, I don't really need, um, I don't need a partner because I even have, 
friends. I have a lot of friends. I wish I could see more, you know, I like, I feel like I'm not, um, I'm, I want to make more time for the people who are already in my life. And like, interesting that like the most serious relationship I've been in, in the last like five years was entirely during the pandemic. And I think it's because that's sort of when I was willing to make time for it. Like I do stand up too. And that got shut down during the pandemic. And like, I wasn't able to see my friends and it kind of just made sense that I was like completely available for this person who I was in a relationship with. And, um, and in the book, actually like the press, I pitched the book when I was single, I got into a relationship while I was writing it. And then we broke up like towards the end of it. So like I had both perspectives while creating the book. And I don't think I was happier in one or the other. Like, uh, you know, I'm always up. The end of relationships is never that happy, but like, the actual like in the middle of the relationship versus like in the middle of a period of being single. I think I'm like the same level of happy. I love that you put all your standup or most of your standup online on Instagram. And the last, literally the one you posted today about toxic shock syndrome, I have to tell you, <laughs> of course, we have all been trained like that will kill you. It's the number one killer of young women. So years ago, I've shared this story already on bitch talk, but years ago, I just had a very busy month, Ginny, and I was working a lot and just not taking care of myself that much. <laughs> And I left a tampon in for weeks, if not a month. Oh my God. And it was fucking disgusting. But guess what? I lived just letting yeah. you know. So if you want to <laughs> add to that joke, people live. Uh, yeah. You leave a tampon in for a month. So was there an infection? No, just smelled. Yeah. It smelled real bad, Jenny. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, and oh, go ahead. Oh, when I was like, 13 I was so scared of toxic shock syndrome because of all the articles and, yes. and I like yes I was sure I'd left on it but I couldn't find it and my mom like looked yes and she was like there's nothing in here and then I made her take me to the doctor I was like the doctor and it was like the doctor's visit was all of 30 seconds I opened my legs and my pediatrician's like nope you're good <laughs> like oh was it? <laughs> she was like no tampon in there so you you would know uh after a while and yes i know what Ange is gonna say yes i even i think that i even had sex with that tampon in let's just say it's a really interesting month yeah <laughs> you should you should base your your stand-up set on that story you could lead off with that Aaron. That. <laughs> or Ginny. yeah we're alive to tell the story yeah <laughs> well, well be, before we go before we go, I have to know, there are so many references to the Roomba in your book. I just have to know, did you buy yourself one, Ginny? Because we're living through a pandemic. Just buy the goddamn Roomba. I think I, my boyfriend at the time had a Roomba and I was really jealous. But I, I had an apartment that was better suited for a Roomba because it was like small and square and I never got one. Um, I think because it was the pandemic, I was like, I have the time to use a full vacuum cleaner or whatever. Um so I never, yeah, I didn't get one, but I should, I should, that should be like my gift to myself. Now that the book is out my like post publication, treat, I was treat really yourself. Yeah. yeah. Put a bow on it and let it roam around. Yeah. yeah. That's your gift. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ginny, it's been a pleasure. The book is I'm more dateable than a plate of refried beans and other romantic observations. It's out there now. And, uh, we congratulate you on the book and hope there's more to come. Thank you so much for having me. It was so great to talk to you guys. You really too. We loved it. Thank you yeah. so much. We'll Thank see you, you live soon. Okay. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. 